Uh, when, um, uh, when we were at New Wine this year, uh, Daniel Strickland taught us how to start the day. So we're going to, I know it's the end of the day, but we're going to start the day with this. So Susie's going to come and uh, do this for us. Where are any of you at New Wine, week two? Week two? With D Danielle Strickland. Oh, well, you, you'll know what we're doing then. You'll know, you'll know what we're just about doing, okay. Actually, you're going to need both hands, so I'll, I'll do this. So I don't know where you all are, um, have come from. I know coming here tonight and just getting here is quite an effort. I think sometimes for these weekends. And so it's good just to pray. And so if you bear with us, the whole point of this is like a daily thing and to surrender, to give thanks, to just be able to give to God what we, where we are at really and to be able to leave behind, leave at home, just leave it there and be able to gain as much as we can from this weekend what God gives us. So I think we should just stand actually. So let's put our hands up in the air and we're going to surrender to God. God, we give everything to you. We come to you and we give all the stuff that we've, um, that's going around in our head from what we've left at home and we just want to give that to you and we give ourselves to you. And we pray for this weekend that we can just know that you are and trust you in all that we do. And then we put our hands out a bit more, a bit wider, and just say, thank you, Lord, for all that we are. Thank you for our health, our wealth, our families, for our faith. And then we put our hands down in front of us in a receiving position. And we say, Lord, thank you for all that you give us. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your heart. And we receive from you by the Holy Spirit. Fill us, Lord. Then we put our hands out in front of us and we say, Lord, help us to give it away. To give away your love. Help us to be kind. Help us to be generous-hearted. And Lord, we put our hands out. And we say, Lord, enable us to see what you see. Enable us to have hearts for mission. Empower us, Lord, to do your work. Thank you, Lord. And we all say, Amen. Amen. Great. Now, if you've got a, a Bible with you, don't worry if you haven't, I'll read it, but if you've got a Bible with you, we're going to look at uh, Luke chapter 9, end of Luke chapter 9, verse 51, and um, it says, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Then verse 57, as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I'll follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. 
And Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Uh, I think uh, Ron and I have two things in common. Um, the first is I think we went to the same vicar factory, didn't we? To uh, Trinity, Bristol. So um, it was all their fault, all right? And, uh, and the second thing is that we both did our curacies in Columpton, in Devon. And uh, how many years did you spend there? Three years, yeah. Yeah, they, they needed extra time for me because I was a slow learner, so I did five years. But, uh, but it was a great, great time. One of the things about uh, being in Devon is that every now and again you'd be invited to go to a church way out in the stick somewhere. And, uh, and, and usually not many people turned up. And I, I love the story about one vicar who uh, went to take Evensong at this church. And, uh, and only one person turned up, just one farmer. So he went to the farmer and he said, look, uh, you know, only you and I are here. Tell you what, let's just say a quick prayer and then we can go home. And the farmer said, he said, vicar, when I go out to feed my hens and only one hen turns up, I don't send it away hungry. So the vicar was incredibly impressed by this man's philosophy. So he said, okay, right, okay. So he did the full even song. They sang every hymn, every verse. They did every canticle, every response. He did the longest readings that he could find from the Old Testament, the Gospels, and the Epistles. He did the longest sermon he's ever preached in all his life. And he prayed the longest prayers he's ever prayed. And at the end of the service, the vicar, as he went out, he said to the farmer, he said, did you enjoy that? He said, vicar... When I go out to feed my hens and only one hen turns up, I don't give it the whole ruddy bucket. <laughs> well, I've got, I've got the whole ruddy bucket for you this weekend, okay? So I, I hope that I'm going to be able to stick to time. But, uh, you know, we've got quite a lot which uh, I want to share with you over this, over this uh, couple of days. And, uh, and tonight, I just want to have a look at this, this reading about when Jesus is setting out for Jerusalem and he comes across these guys you know, Jesus, when he meets people, he says to them several things. He, sometimes he says, welcome me. Sometimes he says, receive me. Sometimes he says, ask me, obey me, worship me, abide in me, invite me. All those sort of questions, ways that he expresses it. But often he says, follow me. Follow me. Follow me, whatever the cost. Follow me, whatever it takes. And he said it to rich people, poor people, religious people, irreligious people, men, women, servants, and employees. He says, follow me. And when we follow Christ, we find that actually to start the Christian life, is, it doesn't cost us anything, in fact. But when we start to follow Christ, we find that it does begin to cost us something. And sometimes the cost can be quite great. But it's only then that we discover whether we're actually consumers or followers of Jesus Christ. I'll explain that in a little while. When uh, uh, it was quite some time ago, it must have been a good 20 years ago, because my boys were very young at the time. And uh, my first wife and I, we were coming back from uh, a short weekend in France. And because we were living in Surrey at the time, we crossed over at uh, Calais to Dover. And we thought that we'd drop off at Calais to go to Cité Europe. Have any of you ever been to Cité Europe? 
is this huge hypermarket. It is enormous. It's such a big hypermarket that every single Im of the, um, the people serving there are all on roller skates because that's the only quick way they can get from one end of the store to the other. It is enormous. Anyway, I said to my wife, come on, let's go and pick up some bottles of lemonade. <laughs> so she said, okay, okay, we'll go into that. Well, when we arrived, what I didn't realise was that this actually was a bank holiday Monday. And when we arrived in this hypermarket, um, it was as if the whole of the south of England was in there. It was absolute bedlam. It was teeming with people. And in fact, it was so bad, people couldn't get their trolleys from one place to another, from one aisle to another. And so what happened was that their friends were sort of throwing produce over the top into trolleys the other side. So there were camemberts coming over the top. There were tatas sort of flying through the air. Strings of garlic were flying through the air. And it was absolutely dreadful. And when I eventually got my two boys to um, the lemonade queue aisle, I mean, it was, it was awful. It were, there were bottles everywhere. There was alcohol all over the floor. There were broken bottles. There were people screaming and pushing each other. And I said to my two boys, I say, come on, we're getting out of here. And I just literally, I, le I leant up and I grabbed a couple of uh, boxes off the shelf. I didn't even look at them. And I headed for the exit. And when I got to the exit, um, you know, the, the girl at the checkout, she, she asked for however many euros it was. And I thought, hmm, that's rather a lot of money. But, you know, I wasn't in the mood to try and do the translation in French to English. I wasn't in the mood of doing euros into pounds. I just thought, what the hell, let's get, it. Let's get out of here as quickly as possible. Paid the bill and off I went. When I got home, I looked at the bill a little bit more closely. And to my horror, I found that they, they weren't... Uh, the, the each. I mean, call me a cheapskate if you like. And this was 20 years ago. These bottles were £10 each. Not only that, they weren't full bottles, they were half bottles. And not only that, it, they were all sweet dessert wine. <laughs> and I, I said to my wife, I said, I had no idea it was going to cost me so much. And many people have said that, haven't they? I have no idea it was going to cost me so much. You might have said it after an expensive holiday. You might have said it after the extension to the house. You might have said it after buying a car. You might have said it paying the school fees or whatever it happens to be. I never knew it was going to cost me so much. People have said it about their marriages. People have said it about bringing up their children, particularly when they go through the teenage years. And some people have said it about the Christian life. Oh, my goodness. I never knew it was going to cost me so much. Well, the disciples found that. And these disciple guys uh, were following Jesus. And uh, they suddenly discover that actually it's very costly. And often what happens, you see, is that we start off the Christian life as consumers. Of course, because Christ is offering us so much. He's offering us forgiveness and eternal life and security and significance and peace and his presence. He offers us a huge amount. And we're consumers. We say, yes, please. I hope that you've done that. And then having said yes, please, there comes a moment sometime in our lives where actually we suddenly realize, oh my goodness, actually there's quite a cost to this of following Christ. 
And actually, it's a very important moment when we suddenly discover we're not just consumers of Christianity, we're actually followers of Christianity, followers of Christ. And so Jesus meets three people who are facing the cost. The first one in verse 57, walk along the road, I will follow you wherever you go. And here's the enthusiast. He's the enthusiastic follower. And by golly, we need enthusiasts in the church, particularly in the Church of England. (laughs) We need lots of enthusiasts. It's wonderful to have enthusiasts. So full marks for his zeal and good intentions. But actually, this man hasn't really thought it through. He's too impulsive. He's too carried away in the heat of the moment. Uh, You know, we take uh, uh, teenagers, our teenagers, we take them to Soul Survivor. Um, Well, it's when I say we take them to Soul Survivor. Uh, My wife takes them to Soul Survivor and does all the cooking, and I'm just there in the tent, you know. But, uh, but it's great. Souls of Five, you've been, it's a wonderful time. But, you know, with, with uh, the atmosphere of worshipping with 12,000 other teenagers, the, the music, the, uh, the drum beat, the uh, very sort of uh, charismatic uh, talks by Mike Pilavachi, yeah, you could get carried away in the heat of the moment. You could get carried away. Say, yeah, yeah, I'll follow Jesus. I'll follow him. I think sometimes it's like that, uh, you know, we can feel like that on Sunday morning. We hear some inspirational message or we're enjoying the worship. We say, yeah, I'll follow Jesus. Get enthusiastic. Somehow it sort of dissipates by the time we get home, certainly by Monday morning. Well, I've forgotten all about it. I don't know what the guy said yesterday. can't remember a thing. And Jesus replies in verse 58, he says, you know, foxes have dens, birds have nests, son of man has no place to lay his head. In other words, what Jesus is saying, do you really want to follow me? Suppose it doesn't go well, supposing your income halves, your future is uncertain, supposing your, your standard of living drops, your popularity plummets, your health deteriorates. Suppose that the, tough gets go, uh, the going gets tough and your marriage is under strain and your children start rebelling. Are you still going to follow me? And I guess that man must have walked away from Jesus and, and said, I never knew it was going to cost me so much. The next guy comes along. He says to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Now, I don't know about you, but I think that's quite a reasonable request. I don't think there's anything wrong in his request to go and bury his dad. I mean, you know, would all of us would would sorry, not all of us would want to bury our fathers. What I what I meant was, was that if our fathers had died, we'd all want to do the right thing. And uh, but I don't think that's really the case here. I don't think this guy's father was dead. I think this father was elderly. He hadn't died yet. In other words, what the man was saying to Jesus. Well, when my father dies, first let me go and bury my father, and then I'll follow you. In other words, this is the procrastinator. This is the guy who's, who's uh, sort of set, got into the, well, when things settle down, then I'll follow you. And people often get into that, don't they? They get into that kind of, well, when I leave school, then I'll follow Jesus. Well, when I leave university, then I'll leave Jesus. No, 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 when, uh, when I get married, then I'll follow no, no, when, when the kids are born, then I'll follow Jesus. When the kids are baptized, then I'll follow Jesus. Now, when the kids have left school, that's when I'll follow Jesus. 
Well, no, when the kids have got settled in their own homes and got, you know, then I'll follow Jesus. No, when I'm retired, then I'll follow Jesus. Then, oh, it's too late. It's too late. I, I think we need to reckon that actually things will never, ever settle down. Go and ask a retired person whether they're now busy or not. <laughs> things never settle down. Don't get into this, this thing of, you know, one day things will settle down. One day things will be easier, and then I'll be able to follow. One day things will be much calmer, then I'll be able No, 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 no. Don't, things will never, ever settle down in this life until we're dead. And then you'll be amazed at how quiet things are. But until then, now that's not theologically correct, okay? Not theologically correct. Did you hear what I'm saying? And so people make lots of excuses. I get fed up with people say to me things like, oh, Vicar, we haven't got time to come to church. <laughs> and I say to them, do you honestly think that all the people that come to church are twiddling their thumbs Monday to Saturday because they've got nothing else better to do and they can't wait to go to church because they need something to do in their life? What do you mean you haven't got time to come to No one's got time to come to church. Unless they make time and want to come. You see, Jesus says, look, there's work to be done. He says it's a top priority. He's not being callous or brutal by saying, let the dead bury the dead. What he's saying is, in effect, he's saying, look, anybody can do that. Anybody can bury the dead. All you need is a shovel and a prayer book and job done. But no one else can go and proclaim the kingdom of God except you. No one else can go and talk to your neighbor or your friend about Jesus Christ except you. No one else is going to pray for those that are sick except you. So no one else can do this job unless we do it. And I guess that guy walked away from Jesus and he said, gosh, I never knew it was going to cost me so much. Number three the compromiser, verse 61. First, let me go and say goodbye to my family. Well, again, that's another very reasonable request. And Jesus isn't forbidding sort of family affection. Uh, Jesus uh, has a very high value of families. He's not, uh, again, he's not being sort of brutal here. But the key phrase, I think, is in verse 62. No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Now, if you've ever heard a sermon about uh, mowing the lawn and looking back and you, you mow a wiggly line, have you ever heard sermons like Have you preached sermons like that? No, good. Uh, all right, that, that is absolute twaddle. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's not saying you go wonky if you look back whilst you're plowing. You know, he's not saying that. No, the key term there is looking back. Because in the Old Testament, looking back is a term for compromise. It's looking back to a previous lifestyle. Uh, the Israelites looked back to their time in Egypt. And they yearned, when they were in the desert, they yearned for their onions, garlic, and melons. I can't quite imagine what you can do with garlic, onions, and melons together. Perhaps, well, perhaps you can. Perhaps Jamie Oliver can make something out of that. I don't know. Uh, Lot's wife looked back. And she was turned into a pillow of sword. So Jesus is saying, no, don't compromise it. You don't look back to some, you know, don't wish you weren't a believer anymore. Don't wish you weren't a Christian anymore. Don't look back to some previous lifestyle. 
Because actually, I think, you know, it is sometimes easy to do that because, frankly, you know, if we're, if we're not a Christian, then well, you don't have to go to church, you don't have to read your Bibles, you don't have to be nice to people for an hour on Sunday. You know, it's a hassle. Sometimes it's a real hassle. I remember when I was, when I was the vicar in Egham, um, every Sunday morning, it didn't matter what the, t- what the weather was like. I, I had to drive because the vicarage was a little way from the church. It doesn't matter what the weather was like. There was this guy who was always walking down the street with his flip-flops and his shorts on and T-shirt. And he was carrying a bag of croissant, uh, a Starbucks coffee in his hand, and he had the Sunday newspapers under his arm. And every single Sunday as I was going to church, I was thinking, I'd like to do that. I'd like to go to bed and take croissant and coffee and read the newspapers. And, you know, I, I, don't, I don't want to go to that lot down there. I want, to go, I want to get back into bed and have a nice time with a cup of coffee. But that's looking back, isn't it? <laughs> it's yearning for some other lifestyle. And maybe Jesus knew that families, maybe particularly families particularly if they're not believers, can actually sway us. It may not be families. It could be, it can sometimes be a spouse if our spouse is not a Christian. It could be our children. It could be our peers. It could be our work colleagues. can actually dampen our following and actually cause us to sort of actually not be quite as committed. You know, our parents may have said, I would wait a year or two, dear, until the children are settled. Or I'm sure God wants you to enjoy life. Or don't take this religion so seriously. It's just a, fra- a phase. You'll grow out of it. Uh, my brother, Paul, who's, uh, who's in your diocese, isn't he? Is he are you Southern? No, you're not Southern, are you? Oh, you're North of the River. Oh, oh. North of the River. Hmm. Very impressive. Um, anyway, my brother's south of the river <laughs> in, in Battersea. And my brother, you know, he's got a brain the size of Basingstoke. I mean, he's, you know, he got a scholarship to kindergarten before he'd even started and then got a scholarship to his next school. And he got a scholarship to Oxford and Cambridge, uh, Oxford College. Then he got scholarships when he was at Oxford. I mean, he was a bright guy. He's still a bright guy. But uh, when he told my dad, that he was going to become a vicar. My dad was furious, and that was very unusual for him. My dad never got cross, but he was furious, and he, and he just turned away and he said, what a waste of a good degree. What a waste. <laughs> oh, bless my dad, he, he, uh, he did change, you know, he got over it very quickly and actually was very proud. My dad never said that to me instantly. <laughs> yeah, he just, he just said, Church of England, well, at least it'll keep you off the streets anyway. Uh, better than nothing, I suppose. <laughs> now, Jesus says, put your hand to the plow. Don't look back. Don't wish the life of an unbeliever again. Just get on with the God job. Get on with serving in the kingdom of God. Don't look back. The whole of the book of Hebrews is about that, isn't it? Because the book of Hebrews is written to a group of Jews who were actually tempted to look back. And of course, for them to look back, they they longed for priests and temples and sacrifices. And the letter, letter of the Hebrews says, do you know what? We've got a better priest than that. It's Jesus. And we've got a better sacrifice than that. 
the sacrifice of Jesus. And we've got a better temple than that. Jesus Christ, don't look back. Don't shrink back, as it says in Hebrews. Don't shrink back. And it's never too late. It's never too late. I remember when I was uh, in Clumpton, uh, and I don't know what age I was, sort of mid-40s or something, about mid-40s, starting out as a curate. And I remember one day I was sort of in, a, in one of those sort of pity holes, and I was just thinking, oh, God, this, I, I've just started this too late. I started this business too late. I should have started this, a year, you know, 10 years ago. And I remember saying to my wife at the time, do you know what, it's just too late. It's just too late. And it was about the time of the Toronto thingy. And uh, so we went, <laughs> you remember the Toronto thingy? Anyway, and uh, everything was happening in Columpton at that time. And I went, I went off to a meeting for, for ministers and it was, you know, you know, I sort of like Eeyore going to the meeting. And, uh, and I was all the way through the meeting, you know with a smile on my face, of course, because I'm a Christian. But in the dark, you know. And, and then at the end, we all stood up, and the guy had a prayer time. And uh, <clears throat> this guy said, um, I've got a word for somebody in here. The Lord says, it's not too late. It's not too late. It's not too late. Of course not. Doesn't matter what age we are. We can put our hand to the plough and serve in the kingdom. But I guess that man might have said to Jesus, I had no idea it was going to cost me so much. And I guess the, um, the, the motivation to keep going is really the same motivation that Jesus gave us himself. And I don't know whether you noticed it when I read it out in verse 51. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. In other words, what that verse is saying is that the destination was not Jerusalem. The destination was heaven. In other words, Jesus knew that he had to go through Jerusalem. He had to go through the cross. But his destination was going to be heaven. Or as it says in Hebrews, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So his journey was going to be to the Father's presence, and it had to go through the cross, but his, his, his destination was heaven. And our destination is God's presence in all its fullness. Our destination is his, his pleasure with all, you know, he has pleasure on us now, but we're going to receive that pleasure in all its fullness, the glory that is now to re be revealed. We don't know what that's going to be like, but I tell you what, when we get there, no matter what the cost is here, when we get there, we're all going to say to each other, it was worth it, wasn't it? <laughs> it was worth it, wasn't it? It was worth it. And some of us, some of us are going to have to go through, I guess, extraordinary pain. Some of you have already been through pain. Some of you are in pain, I'm sure. If you're anything like my congregation, most of them are in pain. <laughs> but it's life, isn't it? It's life. But don't look back. And when we get there, we're going to say to each other, do you know what? 
That was really worth it, wasn't it? Wow. Salvation is free and it costs us nothing, but following Jesus will eventually cost us something. And there'll be that moment where we'll suddenly discover, gosh, we're actually not consumers of Christ. We're also followers of him. What I'm going to do uh, tomorrow, I'm going to go through these five catalysts to growing our faith. And uh, that verse from Thessalonians is, is where Paul gives thanks that the congregation's faith is growing more and more and their love is increasing more and more. Uh, you know, sometimes I think, wouldn't it be great if in a year's time that this congregation could look back on themselves and say, gosh, our faith has really grown, hasn't it? And our love for each other has really increased. That'd be a marvelous thing. And actually, there are five catalysts. They're not original to me, incidentally. So if any of you have ever um, come across Andy Stanley, a Baptist minister in Atlanta, Georgia, then don't Google him tonight, otherwise you'll steal all my talks for tomorrow. But, <laughs> um, but there are five catalysts of faith I'm going to tell you about. They are actually in the booklet, sort of scattered through the booklet. And what I'm going to do is, because you'll notice I'm only doing three talks tomorrow and there are five catalysts, <laughs> I'm going to have to uh, do the first two and then the next two and then the last one. Uh, and I'm going to illustrate each one from particular uh, passages or events in Scripture as to what's really important, what I think is important for me, what I've learned uh, over these years and still trying to learn. But let's, uh, let's pray. Mm. Yeah, come on, Susan. Um, as Johnny was talking, I don't know um, if that's anything resounded with you and whether there's people here, I just have a sense that maybe there's people here that um, feel that it is, it is a bit like that. It can be too late. And when he said that, that sort of struck a chord. And maybe also that there's people here who are going through the crap and pain and... Um, when Johnny mentioned about being in pain and, um, and that's some of you here, you've come away hoping that you can lift some of that off and step away. And it is costly, isn't it, following Jesus? And sometimes we can feel that it's just a bit too much and we don't know where it's going. And we want to sort of keep our head down. But actually, I think Jesus wants to keep our heads up and to know that he loves us. And so I think it's important tonight. I just have a sense that we should pray. We could pray now. Yeah. So if those are things that um, anyone wants to respond to now, and we'll pray for you. So, so um, if someone here feels that that's a word for them, do you want to stand and we'll pray for you. Maybe that's um, someone who feels like this it's too late or there's pain going on or it's just costing too much 
Well done. It's brave to, to stand, but it's amongst family. We're f family here, and that we can <coughs> just yeah. um, be together. You're going to have to be a little bit un-Anglican this evening, actually, and, uh, because we've only got whatever it is, 36 hours or something, and uh, so you need to sort of hit the ground running um, and not wait until Sunday, if you can. Um, but do 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 just do stand if if uh, anything like I said it was or, or you're just finding the cost there's a real cost going on for you at the moment uh, and we're not going to ask you what that cost is or embarrass you but if you feel that that sense of oh my goodness yeah I'm really facing it at the moment there's a real cost to this following Jesus then then I just encourage you to stand and then we're going to pray for you and the rest of you can keep your eyes closed all right. <laughs> All right, just keep your eyes closed. Because this is a private thing, private moment of people just wanting to say to the Lord, Lord, do you know what? I'm really finding it difficult. I just also feel that maybe there's someone here who um, just keeps making excuses about um, sort of just not quite committing or that there's always another reason, a bit like going to bury the dead or saying goodbye to the family. There's something that's stopping you. And um, this is your chance just to reach out. Hmm. So we invite you, Lord, to come by your spirit. Lord, you are uh, the most amazing healer and uh, binder up of the brokenhearted. Mm. Lord, only you can do what we can't. Only you can actually bring uh, peace and, and help us to see our way through so many difficult things in life. So, Lord, would you come? And, Lord, for those that may not have been quite brave enough to stand, would you bless them too? Because you know who they are. And you know each one of us intimately. Lord, would you bless and build us up this weekend. And may this be a, a real um, a moment, a change in our walk with you this weekend. And keep our eyes, Lord, fixed on all the wonderful things that you have in store for us many of which we see glimpses of now. We thank you for that. But Lord, may we be people that have our eyes on the glory to be revealed. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Come, fill us, each one of us up. Refresh us. Prepare us, empower us. Wash away any stuff and fill us fresh, Lord. Heal us, Lord. Mm. 